The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. It's Matt Warren, editor-in-chief at buffalorumlings.com. Welcome back to Buffalo Rumblings Q&A, where we take your questions and give you our best answers. As the Bills are in the middle of mandatory minicamp, by the time you're hearing this, just know that we recorded this before mandatory minicamp kicked off. So if you have questions from mandatory minicamp, send those in for next week's episode. You can send them in at 716-508-0405 and leave a voicemail 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can tweet at us at rumblingsqa, that's with the word and spelled out in the middle of it. You can send us Facebook messages, Instagram messages. You can leave comments in the comment section at our show notes at buffalorumblings.com. There's lots of ways to get in touch with us. We've got Bill's talk coming up next week. And then after that, we've got an Ask Me Anything special episode. So get your questions in for that. And they can be on any topic that's not the Bills. Any topic, you decide. Now let's get to your questions this week. This week's question I'm getting a lot has to do with Josh Allen and his performance during OTAs and minicamp. And the question that I keep hearing is, how important is it that Josh Allen looks good during minicamp and OTAs? For me, this answer is pretty clear. I don't care too much how good Josh Allen looks during OTAs or minicamp. I want him to be taking chances. I want him to have balls intercepted because he tries to thread them into a window that's too small. I want him to overthrow his receiver 50 yards down the field. I want those things to happen now because hopefully if all goes according to plan, those things go wrong in the spring and the summer, and then they're figured out by September, but you don't understand your limitations or the limitations of the offense or the limitations of your opponents, unless you actually challenge those. Think back to a time in your life when you learned a lot by failing or you learned a lot by, you know, not doing well the first time, but then the next time you did it, it was better and better and better every time after that. That's what I want to see from Josh Allen in OTAs and minicamp. I want to see him learn his limitations, learn where he can get better, then actually get better and learn how to get better to make those better choices, make better passes, and just get better across the board. It's the same reason we often didn't like Tyrod Taylor. On third and long, he's doing a short dump-off pass and 
hoping that his receiver can you know, break two tackles to get a first down. If you don't go for that, you're never going to actually be able to get to the first down. And it's the same thing with Josh Allen right now. If you don't actually strive to push your limitations, you're never going to get better. And so that's what I want to see from Josh Allen all offseason, really, even into training camp. As they're continuing to build chemistry, they need to be pushing the boundaries of what he's capable of doing. And even if he fails, then they go back into the meeting room and he can work on that with quarterbacks coach Ken Dorsey. He can work on it with offensive coordinator Brian Dable. He can hear about it from his veteran leadership that's either you know Mitch Morris in front of him, Frank Gore behind him. Uh, he can just learn and get better at what he's doing on a day-in, day-out basis. So you know, as long as he's not you know, throwing it into hospitality tents and things like that, I'll be pretty happy. I don't need to hear about you know an entire practice where the ball didn't hit the ground because Josh Allen was throwing you know, two-yard passes. And I know that hasn't been his forte anyway, but <laughs> I, I just don't need to hear that he's been perfect and no picks and you know, everything's been great in, in minicamp and OTAs. I'd rather it be great, no picks, and, uh, and be good during the regular season. That's what practice is there for, and that's the question I'm getting a lot. How important is it that Josh Allen looks great in OTAs? Hey, my name's Rory Doolin. Uh, I live out in Kalispell, Montana, originally from Albion, New York. Uh, just a quick question I saw a lot this past week about uh, the Bills talking about their K-Gun offense, uh, Jim Kelly being involved, uh, going over videos and things with Josh Allen. And uh, I was just wondering, do they not remember who the defensive coordinator was in Super Bowl twenty-five and what that guy has accomplished uh, that day and every other game over the last 30 years? Um, you know, I get that that Giants offense in the Super Bowl did a lot to keep the Bills' offense off the field, but uh, do you think utilizing the K-Gun nowadays, some 30 years later, is really going to help or make any kind of difference? Uh, just wondering your thoughts. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Rory. Thanks for calling in all the way from Montana. Whenever I hear somebody is from Montana, I always think of the Hunt for Red October. Folks of us that are a certain age who probably watch that movie more than we should have, the Russian submariner who's talking about uh, going to Montana in the United States. So that's a weird aside. Sorry about that. Um, about the K-Gun offense and Jim Kelly being involved with working with Josh Allen, I think uh, a lot of people are making it out to be a really big thing, uh, especially some headline editors in the uh, local Buffalo media market. It was Jim Kelly sitting with Josh Allen and Brian Dable and probably Ken Dorsey talking about some of the concepts. You know, this is what I'm seeing on this play. This is why I decided to go here. This is what made this play work and what made the K-Gun offense so potent. I don't think it's something like, oh, we're going to implement all of the K-Gun offense and you're going to be calling all the plays of the line and, and things like that. I know that Josh Allen said that offense hasn't changed much in the last 25 years, but I think that was a little bit more of lip service than it was anything else. Um, when asked about it, Sean McDermott didn't even understand the question because somebody asked about the report that Jim Kelly had joined the staff. And obviously he hasn't done that, but he did sit with Dable and Allen and probably Ken Dorsey and, and discuss some of the concepts of the Kagan offense and watch it. And even if it was just a nod to the past to say, Hey, could you give us your insight or, you know, you're a hall of famer. We want to make sure that you feel valued in our organization. All of that would still be fine. So 
I don't know what his level of work was, but it probably wasn't more than just a couple hours over maybe one or two days where they were just sitting and talking about the concepts of the offense and, and kind of how Jim Kelly was watching it from his perspective in the pocket, but also, you know, watching film and talking about concepts and things like that. Maybe why he decided to go with this play versus that play. And that might help Allen in like the two minute offense, or if, if Dable takes the reins off just a little bit to more specifically answer your question. Uh, the, the defensive coordinator for the Giants in that Super Bowl was, of course, Bill Belichick, who's the head coach of the New England Patriots, and he's been able to adapt over the years, um, really, and just kind of reinvent himself over and over again. And that's one of the things that makes Belichick Belichick, because he's constantly ahead of the curve. I um, I don't anticipate the Bills trying to to borrow that K-Gun offense whole hog and try to put it up against Belichick now. Uh, I don't think that would work. And... Uh, it's just interesting how you bring up Bill Belichick. I like that. I hadn't heard that yet when everybody was bringing up Jim Kelly working with Josh Allen. So so thanks for that, and thanks for calling in all the way from Montana. And one more thing for Rory, uh, who's from Albion, New York. The Strawberry Festival was this past weekend. I wasn't able to make it up, but they had beautiful weather, and I'm sure some beautiful strawberries up there in Albion right on the Erie Canal. Thanks again for calling, Rory. on Twitter has our next question. Who do you think will be the last three players to make the 53-man roster? So the last three guys in. The 53-man roster at the beginning of OTAs, at least my first roster projection for the year. And there's a few candidates that stick out for me. Uh, Patrick DeMarco and TJ Yeldon are two veterans that I had a hard time keeping on the roster. Uh, DeMarco stayed because of special teams ability, but Yeldon doesn't really bring that. So I'm actually leaning towards taking him off of my next 53-man roster prediction uh, just based on the fact that he doesn't play special teams and they're looking at a lot of those guys. My last three guys uh, onto the roster are linebacker Maurice Alexander. He's a guy that adds special teams value and uh, has experience at safety and is looking to become one of the nickel linebackers or a guy that can play in some of those sub packages. Jaquan Joseph is a draft pick from 2019 who could make the back end of the roster as a special teamer and as a guy who can play um, as a developmental player moving forward at safety. And then Jason Kroom is another one that I think is going to have a hard time making the roster, or at least I was thinking that until Tyler Croft hurt his foot again. So Kroom is going to be one of the last guys on the roster. And then when Croft is healthy enough, I would think that the bills are going to go back to three tight ends and get rid of him. But those are the last three guys I have making the roster today is Jason Kroom, Maurice Alexander, and Jaquan Joseph with Patrick DeMarco and TJ Eldon being, you know, really on the bubble as well. So those are five guys I'd look at for that. Thanks for your question. On Twitter, I am Joseph, and you can find us on Twitter at Rumblings Q&A. We'll be right back after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. 
Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smart Water Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Next up, we have our Twitter question of the week from Andrew Ensign at AndyEnzone33, who says, Ty Inseki has played left guard in the NFL. Is it possible to see Deion Dawkins at left tackle with Ty Inseki at left guard with Cody Ford playing right tackle? Of course, that's a possibility. I just don't see it as the most likely scenario. Uh, Inseki has played really well at left tackle in limited action. Uh, Deion Dawkins had a down year last year at left tackle. So if anyone was going to move to guard, I would anticipate it being Deion Dawkins, not Ty Inseki. Inseki's probably going to end up playing left tackle or right tackle um, and then kind of see where the chips fall at the other positions. Thing to note, though, is that over the last three seasons, Inseki has played more snaps at left guard, 203, than he has at right tackle, 132. Most of his snaps have been at left tackle, where he's played over 700 snaps in the last three years. So if the Bills are planning on moving him from right tackle where he's been lining up this offseason, left tackle would seem to be the most likely place. They're going to give Dawkins as much chance as they feel comfortable doing uh, to bounce back from his second year. Dawkins is obviously getting the first crack at that, but Inseki seems to be like the guy that's going to step in at left tackle if they decide to do something else with Dawkins. And it's, of course, going to be difficult to see that until training camp because even in Mindy camp, um, they're not able to do full contact stuff. Even if they're lining up 11 on 11, they're not allowed to be full contact. So I would anticipate Inseki is not going to end up at left guard. Um, but then again, it would be surprising if he ended up at right tackle too. So we'll see where kind of it all shakes out. He, His versatility is certainly something that the Bills were looking for when they signed him and gave him $13 million or a contract worth up to $13 million, despite the fact that he's never really held down a long-term starting job before. So thanks for your question on Twitter at Rumblings Q&A. Our next question comes from JB Bill Fan, one of our commenters at BuffaloRumblings.com, who posted in our last show notes for our last episode, is sending Lee Smith in as a second tight end in 12 or 22 personnel any more of a tell that we are running the ball than it was last year having Patrick DeMarco on the field? I like this question a lot because it talks about you know, how the defense can prepare for an offense based on who's on the field. And looking at Lee Smith over the course of the last several years, he had 10 receptions in 2018, eight receptions in 2017, and six receptions in 2016, 12 receptions in 2015. So yeah, he doesn't catch the ball a lot, but I'm assuming that those numbers are higher than Patrick DeMarco's overall. And when you look at DeMarco, that actually paired out. Uh, DeMarco had three receptions in 2018, seven receptions in 2017 with the Bills. So Smith is being targeted more than DeMarco for sure in the passing game. But you also have to believe that Smith is doing a little bit more pass blocking than DeMarco might be. In fact, Lee Smith played 120 plays more than Patrick DeMarco did on offense in 2018. Now, they were four different teams. 
Smith was with the Raiders last year. DeMarco was with the Bills. Different offensive coordinators, different philosophies, all that stuff. But you know, Lee Smith is capable of going out into a route, as we just talked about. He's got more receptions than Patrick DeMarco. He's more capable, uh, more than capable of blocking as well. So I would say that I don't think it telegraphs it as much. I mean, it's not like DeMar- it's not like Lee Smith or Patrick DeMarco are going to stretch the field going up the seam or anything like that. They're more of a, you know, crossing routes or, you know, up the field and sit in a hole in the zone or, or little flare routes to the outside type of receivers. But I don't think they're either one of them is going to be a threat um, against a, a passing defense, but they both have, you know, the ability to do that. I don't think it's a tell one way or the other. If Lee Smith is in the game, I think it's more telling if Patrick DeMarco is in the game with the things that they've been asking him to do in Buffalo's offense, which is almost always to be a blocker. Thanks for your question. At Buffalo Rumblings. Right now on our website, we're running a poll about what the most, the play that most defined the 2018 Buffalo Bills season. And we whittled it down uh, five or six choices from each game. Then we put uh, game against game until we got down to the last two plays. The polls are still open at buffalorumblings.com to go vote on that. But I thought I'd answer that question here instead of answering it in the comments at buffalorumblings.com. What play most defined the 2018 Buffalo Bills? And I'm going to go with one that lost in the semifinals, I think, is the the game in Miami. Uh, The Bills are driving toward a game-winning score. Josh Allen heaves it towards the goal line. Charles Clay is open, falls forward, and drops the the pass at the goal line that would have won the game for the Buffalo Bills against the Miami Dolphins and kept them alive in the playoff hunt, barely, but still alive. I think it's really kind of sums up the entire season. Some guys underperforming, some guys overachieving, mistakes that cost the Bills games, and ultimately a chance to go back to the playoffs again. It showed growth from Josh Allen, not just running it. It showed a lot of things about the Bills that I really like going forward, but also how they tend to shoot themselves in the foot. So I really like that play as the play that defines the Buffalo Bills season. Uh, It showed glimpses, but didn't quite land. And that's kind of how I'm approaching it. The final two plays that we have in the bracket are against the Jacksonville Jaguars when Josh Allen had Josh Allen had the pocket collapsing around him, but was able to find Robert Foster on a long touchdown catch, the promise of the future, showing poise, the fe- you know all that stuff from Josh Allen and uh, Robert Foster. The other play is Josh Allen jumping over things, and while that was a really cool play and kind of indicative of the Buffalo Bills season in that Josh Allen was running all the time instead of throwing the ball. I don't know if it's necessarily the play that I would use to define the season. It's certainly going to be the highlight of the season, I would think, but I don't know if it's the play. But that's not what we're asking. We're not asking for the highlight of the year. We're not asking for the coolest moment, which might've been Kyle Williams catching a pass in his final game and his curtain call and all that stuff. We're asking for what the most defining play of the 2019, 2018, excuse me, Buffalo Bills season was. I think that that was the close but 
not close enough of Charles Clay dropping a game-winning touchdown off of his hands in the end zone. Of course, Clay was released for that and other reasons. Uh, Josh Allen's the guy moving forward. Um, that play to Robert Foster that um, is one of the final two plays is one of the reasons why people are have such high expectations of Foster this offseason. I think the other play where Josh Allen was jumping over things is probably the most favorite video of folks. So we'll see who ends up winning in our poll. We've got our Ask Me Anything episode coming up, so you can send in your special questions for that that don't have to do with Buffalo Bills. You can always call us with your Bills-related questions, too, at 716-508-0405. Tweet us at Rumblings Q&A with the word and spelled out in the middle. You can text us also at that 716-508-0405 number. Instagram messages, uh, Facebook messages. You can leave a comment in the comment section at buffalorumblings.com in the show notes. We're entering the dead zone. Buffalo Bills talk. That's one of the reasons we're doing the Ask Me Anything episode coming up in a week or two. But we'll also have Bills talk all the way through the offseason, all the way to St. John Fisher at training camp where the Buffalo Bills kick off the 2019 season. Thank you.